0: Good morning, family. Hope you're doing well. Take out your Bibles, get your pens ready and your notes. In fact, on the top of your note page or even in your Bible right there, go ahead and jot this lyric down that we just sang. You have made me new, now life begins with you. Man, that is good news, isn't it? If you know that to be true, say amen. amen. We are new people. We are new creations in Christ. And, you know, to this point, as we've been studying through the book of Romans, and even to some of you getting a little stressed to this point, you like, hey, love all this grace and justification talk by grace. What about the works? What about doing good and living by the law and, and doing these other things? It, you know, all this free talk, I don't feel a little anxious about that. It's okay. Um, you know, Paul has been focused on justification by grace through faith alone. And it seems like we've left out the whole growing in Christ, the sanctification part, but have no fear. As we turn to chapter 6, we're going to begin to study what it looks like now to be these new people. But before we do that, I want to be really clear today that turning to this new chapter here in Paul's letter to the Romans and we begin talking about this sanctification part, I don't want you to see this as a completely different chapter in the Christian life. As somehow justification and sanctification are completely unrelated. Okay, I don't want us to think that, you know, as if Jesus might save you but not give you a new life. I don't see the Bible teaching that anywhere. So I want to be clear on this: there is one way to become a Christian, and that same way is how we will become like Christ after we becoming saved. Okay. Paul Paul teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith. And we grow to look more like Christ by grace through faith. Same thing. He says it this way in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verse 6. Colossians 2, 6 says this. Therefore, as you received Christ in the same way, so walk in him. As you received him through grace by faith in Christ... Now walk in him by grace through faith in Christ. Grace saves us not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. Douglas Moo, he's one of those really smart theologians. This is what he says. He says, justification, okay, the acquittal from the guilt of sin, and sanctification, the deliverance from sinning, must not be confused, but neither can they be separated are you, are you starting to get what I'm saying? These, these are two parts to the same act of salvation, okay? In justification, sin is pardoned. In sanctification, sin is subdued. Write that down. The, the first service was a little early for a lot of people. Even though they got the extra hour of sleep, they were a little, were a little tired. In justification, sin is pardoned. In sanctification, sin is subdued. Okay, let me explain it a little bit further. See, sometimes we think, oh, I can have Jesus, I can have eternity, I can have heaven, but I can still live however I want to live. And I want to be very clear, before we even start today, Paul is teaching us this is a both-and situation, okay? My friend Colt here, coach of the basketball team, can you imagine if some kid made the basketball team this year, but every single game he said, I'm not wearing the jersey? It's okay, okay? That's silly, right? If you're on the team, you wear the jersey. And if you are saved, if you are justified, if you are cleared of your guilt and shame from your sin, you are given a new life in Christ. Every one of us. Yeah, amen. That's good. Subduing so the power of sin is really kind of like the whole topic of chapter six. And so we're gonna to focus today on the first four verses, and then next week Pastor Sid will be back to pick this up. But but this idea of beginning to subdue the power of sin is where we're gonna be. He's gonna make it clear, Paul, is to us that those who have been justified and are enjoying the new status of being reconciled to God, okay, that's what we've been talking about, that these benefits bring with them a power that must lead to a new way of living. It does. It does. So here's the main idea. I'm going to give it to you right off the top again. Being saved by grace, we are now commanded to walk by grace in a new life. That is very simple, very elementary in in New Testament teaching. We have been saved by grace and now we are commanded to walk by grace in a new life. We should look different when we are no longer in Adam and we have moved to being in Christ. Are you with me? Okay, let's turn to the scripture then, okay? Romans 6 verses 1 through 4 today. What shall we say then? He said, okay, in light of what we've been talking about, what should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means! Exclamation point in my translation. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Isn't that a great logical question? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Can we pray very quickly this morning? Father, you are the God of this word Father, we are asking your help today to understand it correctly and to apply it to our lives powerfully. Show us what it looks like to live out this new life that we have in Christ. Thank you for grace. Amen. Paul is starting here in chapter 6 with this question that obviously some of his opponents have been asking. Okay, now he already mentioned this in Romans chapter 3. We read that a handful of weeks ago, but he kind of just dismissed it. This is what he said in Romans 3 verse 8. He said, why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. So you've got some people out there that are disagreeing with Paul and his message about free grace, free salvation by the grace of God. This gift that we don't deserve. They might be Pharisees, teachers of the law. People, you know, that that taught that you had to obey the law in order to be saved. Okay, Now, of course, we know because we read the book that they themselves couldn't even follow the law that they were teaching. Right. I mean, you guys know about the woe chapter in the Bible. I don't mean W-H-O-A, like, whoa. I mean W-O-E, like, it stinks to be you, scribes and Pharisees, that chapter. Okay, you need to go to Matthew 23 and read that later this afternoon where Jesus is talking to these guys and saying, oh, you say this, but you do this. You are a hypocrite. You try to put this this on these other people, this law. You can't even follow it yourself. Okay, that's Matthew 23. You can read that this afternoon for your homework. Those people, they were afraid, though. I kind of see where they're coming from, that people would just go, oh, okay. I believe in Jesus and I get heaven but I'm gonna live however I want hmm so so that's what they were coming from that's what you know they were saying hey we don't want that you got to at least you know Ten Commandments all the laws and things like that we got to keep that in there or else we're gonna lose all control you know or maybe they honestly thought that maybe there was a group of people asking this question that thought they had found a loophole in Paul's whole message right you mean to tell me this is great I can get eternity forgiveness of sin And every time I sin, God gives me more grace and more forgiveness. And so he gets the credit for it. It's like a total bonus. I mean, I can just do whatever I want. God gets the credit for pouring out all this free grace. I get eternity, and I can still chase the pleasures of this world. And Paul is saying, well, this is ridiculous. This way of thinking, it's actually got a big word. It's called antinomianism. Anti, against, nomianism, the law. These people were against the law. Okay, and so there's actually this long history throughout the church about people that thought that way. In fact, the book of Jude, the book right before the last book in the Bible in verse four, this is what it says. Okay, this is already starting to happen. He says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Do you want to be an ungodly person that has wormed their way into this church family? Then don't be going around telling people you can just live however you want to live, that God's grace covers it. Paul is saying, no, no, no. So that's where this question is coming from. So what's Paul's answer? Here's the answer. Uh, Exclamation point. By no means. He said, that's ridiculous. This is a silly way of thinking. He says, how can he who died to sin still live in it? It's very logical. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Okay, well, then that makes me ask the question, well, what does it mean that I've died to sin? Look at verse 3. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Death is all over this passage. I looked from my verses 1 to 14, the words death, die, die, dead, all, something like that is in there more than 15 times. I went and started counting them, okay? It's all about death. Something has died. There has been a death. But we know through experience Paul isn't saying if you're a Christian, you'll never sin again, right? Anybody stop sinning completely yet? Okay. So, so we know that. That wouldn't make sense anyways, because later in this chapter, Paul encourages us not to sin. Verses 12 says, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Why would he have to encourage us on this if we had died to sin and it meant we were not going to struggle with sin anymore? Okay, are you with me? He even does it again in Romans 13 when he says, So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So Paul is still encouraging us not to sin, to live by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. And he wouldn't need to do that today if our passage today meant he would never, that we would never struggle with sin again. So, so if that were the case, we would be totally discouraged because every time we sin, we would thought, oh, I must not be saved. Right. And so that's not what he's saying. We would think maybe I need to pretend like I never sinned because I want to make God truthful in what he said. And so I'll just pretend like I never sinned. Oh, no, I'm dead to sin. Well, that would be silly, too. So what does it mean we have died to sin? And he goes talking about baptism here. And I know I'm messing up the cameras, but when we baptize. The reason that we go all the way under the water and dung is because we say buried with him in baptism. There's this picture of there is a complete death. Burial is the conclusion of someone dying, right? It is, it is done. I mean, I've even heard that, you know, back in a long time ago in the Bible days, someone would die and they would wait a few days just to make sure they were actually dead because they didn't have all the medical things. And every once in a while they'd start breathing again and it freaked me out. But, but they, burial meant, okay, it's done. Burial, done. And and that's what we do when we baptize. we, We buried our old self. No longer in Adam, but now we are in Christ. Death is the penalty for sin, though. We read that throughout the entire Bible. We see things. Those who sin deserve death. Death entered the world through sin. The wages of sin is death. Death and sin are connected. They cannot be separated. Okay? So here's the deal, though, and the good news for us. On the cross, Jesus bore the penalty of sin. The condemnation, the wrath of God, he bore death for us. And the Bible tells us it worked because God the Father raised Jesus three days later to show that the penalty for sin had been satisfied. Yeah, amen. Yeah. The penalty of death has been satisfied. The Bible says that he died once and for all, for all people. Okay. And he says so that he would never have to die again. Completely satisfied. Jesus didn't satisfy the the penalty of sin for some people. He didn't just satisfy satisfy the penalty of sin for your first year as a Christian to where he was going to have to keep doing it or else somehow you were going to have to pay that penalty. No, it's been completely satisfied. That penalty. We are dead to sin and it has no more claim on us if we are in Christ. Remember from last week, he is our representative. What he did for us was given to us. We get credit for it imputation that's what we talked about last week that big christian word so when we're baptized we are united with christ in his death we are no longer in adam but in christ no longer enemies with god but what of god friends the friendship language absolutely we were against him he was against us even if we claimed to not believe in him we knew it in our bones before we were a christian that's why non-christians don't like coming to church like non-Christians don't like hanging out with Christian people or they don't like to read the Bible or they don't like thinking about death. Why? Because death means them standing before God. And in their current status, they are dead before him because of their sin. The natural man is terrified, wants to avoid God. The same thing happened back in our story, Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, the first people, they sinned by eating of the fruit of the wrong tree. And what happened? Their eyes were open. They realized they were naked and look at what verse 8 said. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Because who wants to look at God and his face when you are guilty before him? Nobody wants to be there. I'd rather be against anybody in the world but I don't want to be against God but that's exactly our position and standing with him before Christ. But now... We are no longer alive to sin and dead to God. As believers, we are dead to sin and alive to God. Amen. Look back at verse four for Paul's answer to this question. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that. Get your underliner. In order that. Anytime you see so that or in order that, underline that because whatever comes next is really important. We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Back to the baptistry, okay? And this is the verse, by the way, y'all thought we just made this stuff up that we say in here. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. This is the verse that comes from because every single person that is buried with him in baptism is raised to walk in newness of life. It is a both and, both things, justification, sanctification. He gives us the power through his grace to live in a new way. Here's the reason for Paul's answer by no means is that our old life is dead and buried with Christ and we now have a new life. God's grace not only forgives us, but it also delivers us from sinning continuously. I love how the Amplified Bible puts this verse, chapter four, I mean chapter six, verse four. The Amplified Bible says, so that, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, so we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. But just like you were saved by grace, we now live by grace. We could not save ourselves. We couldn't. Remember, we talked about that. The law was there. 1,400 years. We had plenty of time to prove that we could follow the law on our own, and every single person failed could not save ourselves, only by the grace of God. And in the same way, we cannot live the Christian life on our own effort. Has anyone ever tried to stop doing a certain sin and then sure enough find yourself doing that again? Man, I have, because my effort is not good enough. When that happens, I wake up, I ask God to forgive me, I cry out to him because my relationship to him Matters to me, and I've hurt him. I've broken that fellowship. But then I get up and I move ahead in faith and grace again. I don't have to continually beat myself up and discourage because the the shame, the guilt, was nailed to the cross. I don't have to come in on Sunday morning and be afraid to sing because of my actions from the night before. I sing because of grace and faith in Christ. He is making me into a new person. We've talked about this before. It's like, it's like diving into, you know, zooming in really close into a stock market. And, you know, you look and this had a bad day, so it just looks like that. Right? And I mean, if you zoom in on my life with Christ from age 15 to 44 on any day, week, or even month sometimes, it will look like this. And you're like, Brian is just blowing it when it comes to his walk with Christ. But if you zoom way out from age 15 when I met Jesus to now... It kind of steadily kind of looks like this and I don't get it right every day because I still have the flesh part of me. But as I continually begin to feed my spirit, it begins to win out and I know him more. I know his word more. I know his ways more. And I begin to look like him. God said the purpose of him saving me was so that I would look more and more like the image of his son. And he does that for us. The power to do this comes from the gift of grace. We are engrafted into Christ and his death through our baptism. Okay, Just like a little twig that is, that is grafted to a root and that's where it gets its, its uh, power and its substance and everything it needs for life. We now live by getting our substance, our power from this new life, from the spirit of God that lives in us. Not just from our own effort and discipline, but from the Holy Spirit. So what is this new life look like this is where I want us to finish the rest of our time with this this idea of newness of life that we would bypass the idea that we could somehow have Jesus and yet look the same as we did when we were in Adam because Paul is very very clearly banging a gong saying you are new new creation old clothes gone new clothes on he uses so many different analogies in his letters it is clear that you cannot be the same first thing is this we now desire God the new life desires God completely opposite from when we were trying to hide from him in the garden when we were dead to him and alive to sin we wanted no part of him but now that we are alive to Christ and dead to sin man we desire God we desire him with King David he was known as a man after God's own heart. Listen to how King David talks about his desires for God in Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, King David O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. King David desired God. King Jesus even desired God. His example of waking up early, Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed, The new life is characterized by desiring God. There should be a clear difference when we go from darkness to light, from living in Adam to living in Christ, that we go from wanting to get away from God to desiring to be in his presence. The new life desires to know him, to spend time with him, to know his ways, to obey his ways. These are our new desires. And I know it. You might say, this is not to discourage you, Brian, I did not desire to wake up at four o'clock this morning to spend time with my Lord. This is not discouragement. This is encouragement. But I can tell you that over time, the more we spend with him, the more we desire to be with him. It's that intimacy with God. A good, a good marriage is going to have intimacy between the spouses that you desire to spend time and to know your spouse and intimacy with God, we're going to desire Him to be with Him. That's one of the core values at Heritage: is, is intimacy with God. There's two other ways that this new life shows itself. Walking in new life shows itself in a new mind and also a new heart. Let's think about the new mind. The Christian has a new mind. Romans 12:2. I know you know this. First, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind." We think differently. Our perspective has changed on everything that is put in front of us in this world. We think differently. In the past, before Christ, everything was bound by time and space. It's all about the earth and, the, and, and ourselves and things like that. But now it's eternity. Thinking about eternity, thinking about things with an eternal perspective changes everything, doesn't it? Changes how I spend my time, my money. It changes my relationships. It changes how I work. It changes my relationship to the church family, thinking about things in an internal perspective. Before, our thoughts were only consumed with the things of this world. Listen to how Lloyd-Jones puts it, great preacher Lloyd-Jones, talking about the not-yet-Christian, okay? His thought world is bounded by this world. And its knowledge and its culture and its art and its business and its pleasures and all such things. It is a life and outlook that are bounded entirely by the body and by the rational soul and by nothing beyond. But now we've been introduced to the beyond, haven't we? The Christian's mind is changing. The Christian knows that now there is part of us that is spirit, not only flesh. And we begin to live more and more in the spirit and less and less in the flesh. And so our mind changes. Our values have changed. Not just wanting to know about the pleasure that we can get out of something, but what is that thing's eternal value? How does that thing or that relationship or that action affect my soul? How does it affect my relationship to God? These are ways that we begin to think when we are now in Christ. Our mind is changing. Another change in mind is that the believer is now interested in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Before Christ, the Bible was the last book we wanted to read. Now, we know it's the only book that teaches us more and more about Christ. It actually pulls me toward him. Pulls me toward him. It shows me his ways. It shows me how to live in his ways. It shows me about his love and how how valuable I am to him. It's the only book that brings me closer to God. It speaks to you. It, It moves you. Our mind is being different. The Christian also has a new heart. New heart. The new man or woman has a new heart with new desires. Do you you find that to be true in your Christian walk? New desires? I find that the things I used to desire don't desire as much anymore. And the things I used to not desire at all now have become very important to me. Listen to how Jesus uh, describes this in Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. The believer's greatest desire is no longer pleasure and satisfaction, but it's for righteousness. It's for holiness. That's our greatest desire now. A desire to have a heart that is free from sin. And when we do sin, we're grieved by it. Do you you feel grieved by your sin? Sometimes, I've been in the church since day one. My dad was a pastor. So even before Jesus, I've been in the church. And can I just say this? I don't know. I think... That sometimes Christians, when it comes to the way we think about sin, we're kind of just used to it. I and mean, that hurts me that we would just think so lightly of our sin because we are so used to it because it happens so often that it would hardly even affect our day to day thought life. I would hardly even think too much about it before I just continue going on. I want a heart that's free from sin. I want to be grieved when I do sin. I don't want to just see sin as an offense against the law. I want to see sin as an offense against the God who loved me so much that he would give his one and only son for me. Sometimes I think we feel worse about hurting our buddy than we do about hurting our God. What is your thought when you sin? Are you worried about the punishment when you sin? Because if you're worried just about the punishment, you're still living under the law. But if when you sin, your thought is that you've grieved your one true God, then now that's the Christian way of thinking. Our new heart's desire is to live in a way that pleases God. We will also have a desire for prayer, communion with God. You will find yourself wanting to speak to God and know him more, wanting to hear back from God and listen for his voice. We will have a desire for the church. That we would be wanting to commune with our brothers and sisters in Christ because they remind us of what Christ has done for us and the change that has taken place in my life. They remind me of the encouragement that should be going on in my life. I have a desire for God. I have a desire for the church. You have a desire for the lost, won't you? The sheep that are still without a shepherd. Because you know that feeling. Because it used to be us and we've been rescued from that. We ought to have compassion for the lost the way Jesus had compassion for the lost. And finally, our new heart will change our will from being about what I want to what does God want for me. This is when you look back and you go, I can tell that God is at work in my life. Because when I woke up, my first initial thoughts used to be, what do I want What do I want out of this day? What do I want out of this relationship? What do I want out of this whatever it is? But now it's beginning to say, God, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? Being saved by grace, we are now commanded to walk by grace in a new life. We have been raised together with Christ. And because we are united to him, we are now different in mind and heart. So here's the question for you today. Have you been raised together with Christ? Are you alive to God and dead to sin? Or are you still alive to sin and dead to God? The Bible doesn't teach us that there's some sort of in-between state. He doesn't say you're in Adam and then you're in something and then you're in Christ. It's this decision we make to move from one realm to another. Do you know God? John 17:3 says this is salvation that you would know God and his son who he has sent. Do you desire God? Christians, I want to tell you today, if your answer to these questions is, yeah, I think so, then this is good news. This is the Holy Spirit, God's grace, his gift. You didn't deserve working inside of you to make you a new person. You don't have to, to you know, like measure yourself against your, your next door neighbor, Christian. You don't have to say, well, Pastor Sid, you know, he's way up here." to you know, you know, Is God at work in my life? I can trust him to do it. You remember that little song, We Were Babies? He's still working on me. Remember that? That's good news. Made me what ought to be, right? He's so patient. He's working on me. I just want to see evidence of him at work in my life. The scripture says that Holy Spirit, that's the signet ring. That's the seal of proof to show, yeah, yeah, God has his hand on this life. He's a chosen son or daughter adopted by love. The Holy Spirit at work. We don't have to have it perfect. or all together. But let me tell you this, not yet believer, if you're still in Adam, if you're still in sin, a lie to sin, dead to God, I can't think of a scarier place to be in my life to have that status still the way it was before I met Jesus. Any difficulty I've ever been through in my life does not compare to the difficulty I would have had to have to stand before God and still be alive to sin and not alive to Christ. Make that, that first initial decision to go from death to life, to, from darkness to light, to say, God, I want Jesus, come and rescue me. Over the next handful of weeks, months even, we're gonna be talking about now as we go through the rest of Romans, what it looks like to be these Christian people what it looks like to be the church outside of these walls. Don't miss. Don't miss. Bring your notepads and your pens and wear them out. Let God's word fill us with what it looks like to be in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for grace. Thank you for for fixing us, from rescuing us, from giving us an opportunity to subdue the power of sin in our life. And Father, that's what I'm praying for this week for our church family, is that those things that seem to have a stronghold on us in our life would begin to fade away because not that we're so disciplined or strong, but because you are so strong, because you are so mighty powerful and the grace that you give us, that gift allows us to subdue the power of sin in our life and to walk in newness of life with Christ. Thank you for the cross, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.